Father, we just thank you so much this morning for the work of Holy Spirit in this room. We just, this morning, we just draw in a nice deep breath. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, just as simple as it is to take that breath and to breathe in the life-giving oxygen that, Lord, you've put around us freely every day. Father, we can just breathe in and we can receive from the Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, as people have taken that step and come out in faith, Lord, I believe you've met each and every one of them. And Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name by faith, Lord, for every, every life, every hungry vessel that's came here forward this morning, that God, you would continue to minister them and reassure them that, Father, you've heard their cry. That there isn't one need that was brought before your altar here this morning. That, Lord, that, that you just casually just dismiss or you look the other way or you're not interested in. No. You are so invested in each and every one of us. And, Father, there is no need that is too big and no need too small to catch the attention of Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we rest in that today. And I pray right now in Jesus' name, uh, a seal of Holy Spirit over every request, every need. Enemy, you cannot have this seed. It's been deposited by faith in good soil, and it will produce a harvest 30, 60, 100-fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you are thinking, man, it's already like 12 after. pastor's going to preach. We're not going to get out of here till 1 o'clock. You're right, you're not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It'll be 1.30. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, I, I, I'm perfectly capable of just uh, getting that done a little bit this morning and doing the rest of it next week. That's perfectly fine with me. And uh, I, I, can, I know the lights are bright, but I can see the sigh of relief upon your face. And uh, so that's good. Father, we just pray today, Lord, as we once again look to your scripture. Father, we're never in a hurry because the Christian journey, Father, is, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Father, the, the race that we're involved in, Lord, is one that's supposed to, uh, Father, en engage us for the whole journey. Father, it's lifelong. It's a pursuit that, God, we take from the moment we say yes to Jesus, and Father, we carry it to the grave, Lord, and that as we move forward in life, God, we, we, Lord, many times it's a relay. We're taking a baton from somebody else, and then we're carrying it and handing it off to somebody else. But the interesting thing and the different thing is that we still, we keep running. And Father, maybe different batons, different stages, different hurdles, different things that we have to do. But Father, this race is one that we continue in before you because, God, you've called us to it, and we're committed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a an interesting season for sure. As we uh, uh, awoke last weekend to the, you know, horrible uh, events that took place in uh, Israel and uh, the uh, terrible bloodshed and now a war that we're going to be locked into, we don't know for how long. And uh, it reminds us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. My mind immediately went to, you know, the Canalons and Jesse was here just what back in June, I guess, right? And, uh, and he's been to Israel. He only got home from Israel three weeks ago. 
And he's supposed to go back again in three weeks. And so now he doesn't know. Most major airlines have canceled all flights into there at the present. And so he doesn't know what the situation is going to be. But he wanted me to reassure everybody. Uh, I asked him to make a two-minute video. It was almost six. So I said, a little too long. I might have to edit it down and play it for you or put it up. We maybe even be able to put it up on our church Facebook page for you. And then you can go in there and you can check it out. But him and his wife want to let you know that they're, they're safe, they're fine. But they have friends that are there they want you to continue to pray for and lift up. And the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? And that's a biblical directive to each and every one of us. And, uh, and so we, we do that. We ask God to, to minister to them. And, and, you know, and let's not forget what's happening in Ukraine. I was reading yesterday, it gets shuffled. It gets put to another, you know, back page because we're such people of the moment, Right? We read the news and everything is what's happened in the last 10 minutes. And, uh, and we, we forget that there are still people uh, engaged in struggle for their lives and we need to keep them in prayer and we need to continue to ask God to, to intervene and to, to do a work there as well. And so we need to stay focused and diligent, right? Are you hearing me? And we need to do everything we can to engage our Heavenly Father in all of these situations and scenarios. But I want to say something that seems almost counterintuitive to all of that this morning, and that is this. It's still the greatest time in history to be alive. That's right. And sometimes because we are trained by a media that has negative bias. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But how many good news stories do you see on the news, right? You turn it on, and it's always just one negative thing after another, after another, after another. That's why I tell people, you're depressed, just stop watching the news. Just stop. Uh, I read news. I don't watch it. I haven't watched news in almost 15, 20 years. That's why I'm in such a good mood all the time. I, I refuse to watch it. I don't care if it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox, or whatever. It's, it's not because I have a particular bias and I only want to read or watch a certain bias. I just don't want to, I don't want to hear any of their negativity. Are you hearing me? So I, I, I shut it off. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you. I don't watch it. I used to be obsessed with it. Morning, afternoon, evening, and good night. And four times a day I'd watch the news. I haven't watched it in 15 years. Uh, I still know what's going on because I take five minutes. I give myself five minutes in the morning and I read the news. Five minutes. I can read all the headlines and everything that's going on. Sometimes I'll find a story that I'll maybe be interested in and I'll read in more depth. But five minutes, I can know everything that's going on in the world. That's the, the result of having, you know, the world in the palm of your hand. Right? right. But don't let it run you. Am I, are you hearing me this morning? And it's all negative biased. So we don't see all the good things. So can I just give you some of the good things? Can I let you know what's actually happened in, in our world in the last hundred years and, and just give you some, some good news? Could I do that this morning? Would you indulge me here? Did you know in 1949, Popular Mechanics, are you ready for this? Made the bold prediction. They said that someday a computer will weigh less than one ton. <laughs> An iPad, by the way, weighs, weighs 0.73 pounds. But someday, it'll weigh less than a ton. In the United States, life expectancy at birth is increased from 39 years old in 1800 to 79 years old today. Did you know that? The average person today retires at 62. 100 years ago, the average person died at 51. (laughs) 
Despite a, spur, a surge in airline travel, people fl- fly more today than, any, than they ever have. 100 years ago, I should say, sorry, 100 years ago, uh, despite that, half as many people die in plane accidents in 2012 as died in 1960. Think about that. How many hundreds and hundreds of times more flights there are today than there were in 1960. But half as many die because of incredibly advances in safety and technology and all the rest of it. Uh, just a side note, I was in Haiti right after the quake and couldn't get out of the country, so I finally uh, bummed a ride with this guy who was an American Airlines pilot and he had his own plane. And so I, I got on board the plane and it was a little 12-seater twin-engine plane. And, and so he asked me to come on up and sit with him in the co-pilot seat, put the headphones on and have a conversation with him. And I said to him, do you, what, you know, what kind of planes do you fly? He said, I fly 747s for a living. And I said, which would you rather fly, this or the 747? And he said, oh, if the weather is good, I'd much rather fly this. He said, but if the weather is bad, put me in the 747 any day. And I said, why? Does it make that much difference? He said, dude, he said, it lands itself. You don't even have to be able to see the runway. It could be 100% fog, and the plane will touch right down like that, right all by itself. I said, well, then why do they have pilots? He said, well, because... If there is a problem or if they need to go around what the computer wants, and we usually land them ourselves anyway, so we stay in practice. But he said that the computer will do it. Just put it right down the ground. That is the world we live in today. And that's why it is so safe today to fly. In 1952, are you ready for this? 38,000 people contracted polio in the United States. In 2012, there were only 300 cases. Think about that for a minute. The median household income adjusted for inflation is nearly double what it was in the 1950s. Uh, crime has fallen uh, uh, that, uh, from 1991 to 2010, so in only a decade. Uh, rape was down by a third, robbery down by more than a half, uh, more than four million property crimes in 2010, less than there were in 1991. These are just some of the stats that have come around. Almost no homes had a refrigerator in 1900. Today you can put one in your car right? Lots of cars come with a refrigerator and the console. You know, you can keep your drink there. They even have cup warmers and butt warmers, air-conditioned seats for crying out loud. Uh, The average new home now has more bathrooms than it does occupants. (laughs) High school graduation rates are at a 40-year high. The average work week has declined from 66 hours in 1850 to 51 hours in 1909 to 34.8 today. Relative wages, the price, to wages, the price of food has dropped 90% since the 19th century. 90%. That's crazy, isn't it? In 1965, more than 40% of American adults smoked. Today, it's less than 19%. The number of Americans with a college degree or higher has risen uh, from 5% in 1940 to 30% today. From 1920 to 1980, an average of 395 people per 100,000 died worldwide from famine each decade. During the 2000s, that number fell to 3%. 3%. I should say 3, yeah, per 100, 3%. So from 395 people per 100,000 to 3 per 100,000. A three-minute three phone call from New York to San Francisco cost $341 in 1915. Today, most carriers, lots of them, you can do it for free. In 1950, nearly 40% of all households didn't have a telephone. 
Today, there are 500 million internet-connected devices in the United States alone, and an average of 5.7 per household. <laughs> I'd say it's probably low, since now your watches can connect, as well as your phone, as well as your iPad, as well as your smart TV. They can all be connected. Information at your fingertips. And and what happens is that we, we hear something that's bad, something that's tragic, something that's awful, and we have it sitting there in front of us, staring us in the face instantly, instantly. And we tend to gauge our, our view of the world by what we have in our purview in the front window, in the windshield, immediately. But we forget that if we were to take a look in the rearview mirror and we were to look at as far back as 50 years, as far back as 100 years, that the world we live in is completely unrecognizable compared to where we were then and that almost every metric that you can think of and measure with, it's infinitely better. From infant mortality rates globally to uh, education rates for uh, everyone, females in particular, for uh, uh, famine, a loss of of life as a result of famine, deaths by uh, natural disasters, everything you can think of in every one of these metrics, every one of these metrics, the world is actually improving all the time. Now, we, we look at it in North America, especially as a church, and we see in our our, our microcosm of North America, right, and maybe Western Europe included, and we look at that, and we tend to think the whole world from that lens, from what we see there. And so we see maybe a decline in morality, or we see, you know, Christian values being challenged here, and so we look at it and say, oh, the world's just getting worse and worse. But the reality is that those same values that are being fought against here in North America are flourishing in other parts of the world as countries are being brought forward out of uh, poverty, being brought forward out of destitution, people's uh, life median wage and life expectancy and everything is being brought up, so much so that missiologists call it redemption and lift, that when the gospel comes into a country, it just lifts that country up economically, socially, emotionally, in every way you can, can think of. And who's at the heart of it globally? Christians. NGOs. Christians. As I mentioned last Sunday, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel in like 20 countries around the world. And in all those places I've been, I've met hundreds of NGO workers. And I've met one in all of my journeys that wasn't working for a Christian NGO, but was working for a non-Christian NGO. And that was in Haiti. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Church, the gospel makes a difference. Okay, I was expecting a little bit more affirmative than that. Amen? Amen? The gospel makes a difference. Amen? Amen. And, And we have the ability as Christians to continue to be the people who bring the positive message of the gospel to people around us. And, as, and when things unfold that, that are bad, when things unfold that are painful and difficult, we have an opportunity to speak life and light into those situations and to help bring people through them because Jesus Christ has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And that we can see light and life come into every single one of those situations. Amen? And, and so we need to recognize that God gave us a mandate and all the early Christians knew this and they walked with this anointing and carried this vision in their heart that, that Jesus taught them to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? Here on earth. 
on earth as it is in heaven. And they, they took that to heart and they, they said, well, on, on earth uh, as it is in heaven means that I'm to bring that, the joy, the, 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 the peace, the uh, incredible favor, the life, the vitality, uh, all of the thing, the values of heaven, and I'm to bring them to earth. That's our mandate from the scripture. And so we as a people take that to heart. And that's why as Christians... We're supposed to be world changers. And historically, that's what the church has done. Don't let anyone, oh, you highly feel, oh, you know, the problem with the world today is religion. You know, I had a guy tell me that once. Uh, I'd actually left my cell phone in Home Depot. And uh, I, I couldn't find it. And, and I thought, oh, no, I went back to where it was and it wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, no. So I got home and I phoned my cell phone and this guy answers it. And he says, yeah, I've got your phone. I found it in the aisle, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't want to necessarily turn it in because if I turned it in, I was afraid that one of the employees would just keep it on you because you, you can't trust people these days. <laughs> okay, well, you've got my phone. Where are you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we arrange a meeting, you know? And, uh, so then the guy gives me the phone back and then asks what I do, and I tell him, and then he's, oh, I'm an atheist. And then he said, you know, look at all the problems that world, religions cause in the world and all that kind of stuff. And he went into his whole diatribe about it. And, uh, but you know, if, if you want to read a really good book, it's called What's So Great About Christianity by Dinesh D'Souza. It's a fantastic book. And, uh, and I would encourage you to, to read it, get a hold of that book. But anyway, uh, he points out very clearly through history that, yeah, there have been some dark spots uh, throughout history in terms of uh, you know, religious wars and things like that. But for the most part, if you want to see who the bloodthirsty ones are, they were the atheists. With names like Stalin and Hitler and Mao and Pol Pot. I mean, I could go on and on. And, you know, certainly, you know, in the name of religion, misguidedly, there were thousands that were killed, but in the name of atheism and stamping out religion, the millions have been slaughtered and slaughtered more recently. Are you hearing me today? All right. Some of you don't seem convinced, but might have to, I might have to do a history lesson here at church one of these Sundays and help you all out with your, your understanding of it. Amen? All right. <clears throat> well, I'm going to... I promised that I would, uh, over the next number of weeks, that we would start looking at how to live as a son or a daughter of the king. And how we are, God's called us to live from that place, that posture, as sons and daughters of the king. And I talked for the first couple of weeks just about reaffirming that that's indeed what you are. You're not, you're, you're not just a, a Christian. You are a son or a daughter of the king. And, that, and by definition, the scripture says, not only are you part of the royal family, you're not royal subjects, you're royal family, right? And that, that as that, you are actually a co-heir. It's the words Paul uses in Scripture, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. So, in, in, in other words, as, as Christ himself inherits all of this stuff from the Father, so you are right there with him, walking in that same inheritance with Lord Jesus Christ. And it was all made possible by what Jesus did when he gave his life on the cross. 
And so I've made it painfully clear that it isn't because of how smart you are or how cute you are or how tall or short or strong or weak. None of those things matter. The work was done by Jesus Christ. And we stand before him as a son or a daughter because of the completed work of Jesus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but only by his grace have we been saved, right? By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so nobody gets to brag, the scripture says. So nobody can boast. It was the work of Jesus Christ that enables us to be able to stand before him and to have that work credited to our life so we stand before God as a redeemed son or daughter and who has available to us all of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Now, we need to learn how to live that way. And one of the things, as I just mentioned, and, and I won't bother going into my message this morning because I don't have enough time. It's already 1130. But, but one of the things that we have to fight against, and this will probably come up a number of times, as I just mentioned, is negative bias. You have to train your mind to think differently. Don't think like an orphan. Think like a son. Think like a daughter. Don't live your Christianity as a victim. Live your Christianity as a victorious son or daughter of the king. You know, when God looks out, he doesn't see red, yellow, black, or white. He sees sons and daughters. And they're all precious in his sight. Every single one of us. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're precious. You're precious. <laughs> Feels good to be affirmed, doesn't it? Come on now. And so, as we over the next few weeks unfold this stuff and unpack this stuff, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you this morning about what it is to live, uh, the difference between living as a victim and living as an orphan and living as an investor, and I'll unpack that next week. But, but hear me this morning. The big shift that has to happen has to happen between your ears. Yes, sir. Isn't that right, Barry? Yes. It's got to happen in here. You've got to get rid of stinking thinking. You have to think. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was in the mind of Christ. Right? And, and you know what the next line says? Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus didn't think it was wrong for him to be called equal with God. But, but, so in other words, it's affirming uh, he's divine, but he made himself purposefully, right? He made himself a slave. He made himself a sacrifice for every, every one of us. He did it with something in mind, though. It isn't because he was masochistic. He did it because he knew that through his sacrifice, he was going to purchase with his blood the sons and daughters of God for all time. And that, that we would be given the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry as sons of God to carry the message and the glory of God to the world. And you can't do it if you've got a negative bias. 
Mm-mm. Because there's one thing God ain't. He ain't negative. Hello? He's not negative. God's positive. If there's ever any being, any person in the universe that's positive, it's God. Well, yes, because he knows how it's all going to turn out. Yes, that's true. He does know how it's all going to turn out. And, uh, and he, he has that under control. He, win, he says, you win. So I get that. And it's all really cliche and all that kind of stuff, but it's still true. But in the middle of your adversity, in the middle of your difficult situation, in the middle of your pain, God says, you're still victorious. And he says, I want to equip you to be in the midst of that difficult situation. And instead of having your mind clouded over with negativity, God says, I want to show you by faith how you can rise above it and be victorious through Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? That's the kind of stuff we got to unpack. Because God wants us to live as sons and daughters, not to live as victims and orphans. Are you hearing me? Man, I wish I could do this right now, but I just can't. So why don't you all stand with me this morning? Come back next week and we'll finish it. Yeah, come on up. What's been going over in my, my heart this morning is we must fight a withholding spirit. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't punish. It's a silent rebellion when you withhold your goodness to other people. Mm. Come on. Go out of your way. Take a step of faith and break that cycle of defeat because when you withhold a compliment or you withhold goodness to your fellow man, Mm -hmm. you're robbing your future harvest and your legacy. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm purposeful. I'm jumping in and amen and reverend. And that's not the point because he don't need your amens. He's got one every day on the inside. <laughs> amen. Yeah, but I'll tell you, it's like saying sick them to a pit bull. When, yeah, you right. begin, when you begin to just bless people, don't withhold your blessing. That's right. Break off the spirit of colonialism. There's an English thing that we just stiff upper lip and you will earn our own way. We break that today. Mm-hmm. Amen. And we are going to say, Father God. Father God. I will not. Well, I will not. Partner. Partner. With a withholding spirit. With a withholding spirit. I will release the goodness of the Lord. I will release the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. In the land of the living. To everybody in front of me. To everybody in front of me. Yes. Amen. Hold your hands up like this this morning. Father, we receive as sons and daughters today. Father, we receive from you the position of family, the placement in the family, placed around the table by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we accept, Lord, that place. Lord, we we accept it, God, because you, you sent your son to purchase it for us. So we accept it today. And Father, we ask you, Lord, by Holy Spirit, to show us how to rule and reign with you from that place. And to stop living as orphans. 
And Father, we ask you, Lord, to help us to do that. This is going to be an amazing uh, few weeks, and we're excited about it. But Father, as Barry said this morning, Father, we can't do it if we walk around with a withholding spirit. Instead, Father, we are going to release everything that you put in the inside is put there so that it can affect the outside. And Father, you pour it in so we can pour it out. You pour it in so we can release it in the environment around us, and everything gets shifted and changed in Jesus' name. And Father, we receive that today in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, might have to bring your seatbelt next week because it'll be two weeks of pent up and there you have to. It's going to be just crazy in here uh, next week. We hope to see you. And uh, God bless you. Have an amazing day in him. And we'll see you next Sunday.